Jesus before Pilate. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. I'm going to read a passage from the Bible now, and I wonder if you might... Um Open up your pew Bibles at uh, Psalm 2. You might want to keep a, <clears throat> some sort of a bookmark in Matthew 27, but Psalm 2 is a uh, psalm which is very relevant to today's passage from the, the Gospel. Psalm 2 reads, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, 
and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. On June the 2nd, 1953, in front of 8,000 guests, many of whom were heads of state and prime ministers, kings and queens from around the world, Elizabeth was crowned queen at a ceremony in Westminster Abbey. Some of you may have been around at the time and may remember uh, that occasion. Uh, You probably couldn't watch it on TV, but uh, you may have heard it on the the radio. Well, I've got a clip from uh, uh, that ceremony that I want to show to you today. the ensign of kingly power and justice. Receive the rod of equity and mercy. Be so merciful that you be not too remiss, so execute justice that you forget not mercy. O God, the crown of the faithful, bless we beseech thee this crown, and so sanctify thy servant Elizabeth, upon whose head this day thou dost place it for a sign of royal majesty.
So how was that, folks? Bring back a few memories for uh, those who were around at the time. Uh, perhaps the first time that uh, many of us have seen Queen Elizabeth's uh, actual coronation. Uh, but did you notice the symbols? Did you notice the elements of the coronation? After uh, she had been robed with the royal gown and seated on the throne, she was handed the four symbols of, uh, of uh, worldly authority, the orb, the scepter, uh, the rod of mercy, the royal ring, and then the, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury placed the crown on her head. Uh, the crowd then erupted uh, in homage uh, to Her Majesty, uh, crying out, God save the Queen, God save the Queen, God save the Queen. They say that uh, an estimated three million people uh, lined the streets of London on that day in order to catch a glimpse of uh, the new monarch in her golden carriage as uh, she proceeded to uh, the palace. And uh, millions of people around the globe were able to, uh, uh, to listen in on this historic occasion. And uh, as I said earlier, some of those people were, were you, uh, the older ones in our congregation. English monarchs have been coronated the same way for many centuries. Uh, not only with the same uh, ceremony, the same rituals, but even with the same, the same objects, the same crown, the same scepter, the same throne, the same robe. Uh, and there is this link uh, with, with history. Indeed, uh, some of these rituals go back much further in history than any monarch of, of England. Um, the robe, the scepter, the crown, the homage. These are very, very ancient traditions. Indeed, there is an example in the Bible of a man who was coronated with these, these same symbols. But his coronation had some added elements for not only was he crowned and robed and uh, given the scepter and paid homage, but he was also whipped. He was spat on. He was beaten up. Because it was a mock coronation. Uh, they didn't actually consider him to be royalty. It was just a bit of sport, really. The man Jesus was, in fact, a prisoner. Uh, we saw last week... Uh, that he had been put on trial uh, before some religious authorities, but now he had been on, put on trial for treason. They said that he claimed to be a king. They said that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, and that was the charge that had been made against him, and that was the charge which led to his mock coronation. But last week in Matthew 26, we saw that uh, earlier that night that he had been charged with a different crime uh, by a different uh, court. Uh, in verse 65, he had been found guilty of the religious charge of blasphemy because he had, uh, he had said that he was equal with God. He had claimed to be the Christ of God. Now let's go back into 
the political situation at that time. Palestine, which is the area uh, that, uh, the name that that area came to be known as, was an outpost of the Roman Empire. Uh, the, um, the Jews were allowed to have their little puppet kings, the Herods, but uh, Pontius Pilate was the governor. Pontius Pilate was Rome's man in Jerusalem. And in chapter 27, verse 1, if you care to open that up in your Bibles on page uh, 704, in chapter 27, verse 1, we see that the Jewish religious leaders, having tried Jesus themselves, they took Jesus as a prisoner to be put on trial and to be judged by Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate had no interest in a charge of blasphemy. But he, he was surely interested in a charge of treason. But why? I want to ask the question, why did the Jews take Jesus to the Roman governor? Why didn't these Jewish religious authorities, having tried and convicted Jesus of, of blasphemy, why did they simply not execute him themselves? Why didn't they pick up some rocks and stone Jesus to death, uh, that being the Jewish method of execution? Why did they not do that? In uh, John's Gospel, in his account of uh, the trial of Jesus, in John chapter 18, verse 31, we're actually told that when the Jewish religious leaders turned up at, Pal at uh, Pilate's doorstep, with Jesus as a prisoner, that Pilate told them to go away. Pilate wasn't concerned about the matter at all. He said, why don't you just take him away and judge him according to your own Jewish laws? Why don't you do that? But we're told that the religious leaders then reminded Pilate that they had no legal authority to execute someone. And that is why they had to take him to Pilate. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Had legal authority, or the lack of legal authority, stopped the Jews before um, actually trying to stone someone? Was that an issue for them on other occasions? And when we look at the Bible, we see that it wasn't. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 59, note there's a mistake in your outline. It's chapter 8, verse 59, not chapter 18, verse 59. But in John, John chapter 8, verse 59, when Jesus had said that he was God by saying, before Abraham was, I am, how did the Jews react to that? Well, we're told that they immediately picked up stones and they tried to stone him. Right? A couple of chapters later on in uh, chapter 10, when uh, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, well, they did it again. They saw that he was a, that was a, the crime of blasphemy. They picked up rocks and they tried to stone him. They had no hesitation in doing that on those two occasions. Um, later on in Acts chapter 7, um, did they hesitate uh, to stone Stephen to death? Did they say after Stephen had made his speech, we've got to take this guy off to the Roman authorities to have him tried? No, they picked up stones and they stoned Stephen to death. 
in in other words, they really had no problems with what the law actually said about jews executing someone. and so what we have here is a hidden agenda the religious leaders actually want the romans to kill jesus and there's a reason for that some people say that it might have been because they feared the crowd Um, jerusalem was full of people at the time it was a passover and maybe people might support jesus maybe they wouldn't they they say that the religious leaders were fearful of the the crowd retaliating on them But it seems to me that there is more to it than that, much more. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, there was a law which said that if a man is uh, executed for a crime and his body is hung on a tree, then that man is cursed by God. That's Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man is hung from a tree, he is cursed by God. Now, whereas the Jewish method of execution was stoning, the Roman method of execution was hanging someone from a cross. A cross is made from a tree. In other words, the Jewish religious leaders wanted Jesus to be seen by the people not as being the Christ, not as being the, the ruler of God's people, but rather they wanted him to be seen by, by, by people as being someone who was cursed by God. And the Roman method of execution achieved that for them, to be hung from a tree. Now, of course, the irony of that is that, in fact, by hanging from a tree, he was indeed cursed by God, as your sin and my sin became his sin. But you see... The apostles picked up on this idea. Uh, When the apostles preached the gospel in the book of Acts, uh, they would talk about what happened to Jesus by saying that Jesus was executed by being hung not from a cross, but from a tree. Uh, We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 30, in Acts chapter 10, verse 39, and in Acts chapter 13, verse 29. Uh, Paul picks it up in Galatians chapter 3. He, he talks about Jesus being, uh, being a curse for us by being hung from a tree. And so that, therefore, is the reason why the Jews wanted Jesus to die a Roman death. But God wanted that as well. God wanted Jesus to die by that method. Now, why do I say that? Well, Jesus had already foretold how he would die. I wonder if you'll come with me to John's Gospel, to John chapter 18, uh, verses 31 to 32. John 18, 31 to 32. Now, this is when the uh, Jews have taken Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate said in verse 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. In other words, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. That's why they took him to the Romans. Now, what was the method of death that Jesus said he would die by? 
What did he say about his death previously? Well, if you go back to John chapter 12 for a moment, in uh, John chapter 12, verses 32 to 33, this is what Jesus said. I'll pick it up at verse 30, actually. Um, No, 32 will do the trick. In verse 32, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So what is the kind of death that Jesus is going to die? He's going to be lifted up from the earth. That is what he said. Now the Romans would nail the victim to the cross as the cross is lying uh, horizontally on the ground. Having done that, they would then lift up the cross vertically high uh, so that the person could be hung, could be crucified. Now, the question is, why would Jesus want this? Why would this be part of God's plan? It goes back to something which had happened in the Old Testament. Uh, You may remember this, that when God rescued uh, Israel out of Egypt from their slavery, and they were wandering around in the desert, there was one occasion of many when they rebelled against God, and God punished them by sending a Uh, sending snakes into their camp. Um, The snakes were venomous snakes. They bit people and people got sick and died. When Israel cried out to God for help, God said to Moses, make a bronze snake and place that snake on a pole and erect that pole. And anyone who turns to that snake on the pole and looks at that snake on the pole will be healed and they will not die. And that is what happened. Um, By the way, that is why doctors use a snake on a pole as their symbol, in case you've ever wondered about that. It's a symbol of healing. But but, uh, here we see that it is a symbol which points to Jesus and to how he would die and more than that, why he would die. I wonder if you'll come with me to John's Gospel again, to uh, the conversation that uh, Jesus had with Nicodemus. Now, we all know what John chapter 3, verse 16 says, but do we know what John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, just beforehand? John chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The snake in the desert is a symbol of Jesus, of how he would die and the effect that his death would have. So by being hung from a tree, he was indeed cursed by God, By being lifted up on the pole, we can look to him to be healed, for he bore the punishment for our sins. And therefore, crucifixion, the Roman method of execution, fulfills these Old Testament concepts and helps us to understand not just how Jesus died, but why he died. And so they took Jesus to Pilate. For trial. And that, by the way, did not thrill Pilate to bits. 
he was not happy that they brought Jesus to him. A couple of reasons for that. Uh, a good reason would be that it was about five o'clock in the morning that they turned up at Pilate's uh, front door, the praetorium, the palace. They wouldn't go inside the palace because Pilate was a Gentile and they feared ritual uncleanness uh, before the Passover. They were concerned about outward ritual cleanliness whilst they handed in the Son of God to be executed. So they turned up at Pilate's front door. He wasn't terribly impressed. It was five o'clock in the morning. But secondly, uh, he wasn't happy about it because Pilate wasn't stupid. Now, they said that Jesus was guilty of treason. Uh, by claiming to be the Christ, he was claiming to be a king. By claiming to be a king, he was therefore, in their view, planning a rebellion against Rome. Now, mind you, if they sincerely believed that Jesus was planning a rebellion against Rome, do you think they would have handed him, handed him into the Romans? I think they would have actually supported him rather than hand him in. But even Pilate saw through their duplicity. In verse 18, we're told that Pilate knew that they were simply envious of Jesus. Pilate knew that this was actually a Jewish religious conflict. And Pilate was always getting into trouble because of Jews and their religion. Um, for example, there was one occasion when, when Pilate got his soldiers to carry into Jerusalem some banners which had the portrait of Caesar Tiberius uh, um, on those banners they had they, it had the image of Caesar on them um, Pilate was trying to suck up to Caesar that was what was going on there but to the Jews the image of this man's face was idolatry and so they complained to Pilate about that and when they complained uh, Pilate herded all of the complainers up he, he herded them into, a, uh, into an amphitheatre and he threatened to slice off their heads. But far from backing down, these pious Jews offered Pilate their necks. They said, go on, execute us. We don't care. That put Pilate in a terrible position and he backed off and he lost face. And word got back to Caesar in Rome about this. On another occasion, Pilate um, stole some money from the, from the temple. Uh, he stole the money because he wanted to finance the building of a new aqueduct. You know, the Romans were very famous for their, um, their, their aqueducts. Uh, when he did that, there was a riot that broke out. And Pilate had a um, team of specialist soldiers who were, who were plain clothes soldiers. And they were particularly brutal. They were trained to be brutal. And he let free his plain, plain clothes soldiers into the crowd so that they could actually get in amongst people and uh, viciously uh, slaughter unarmed and unexpecting uh, citizens. Back in Rome, Caesar was getting annoyed because he was hearing about trouble in Palestine. 
On another occasion, Pilate equipped his soldiers with shields, uh, which had the image of Caesar engraved on them. Again, it was to suck up to Caesar. The Jews on that occasion sent a delegation to Rome to complain directly to Caesar about this. And Caesar, who was more concerned about keeping peace in his empire than he was about the insincere flattery of Pilate, um, ordered Pilate to remove those shields. And so again, Pilate lost face with the Jews and Caesar is getting annoyed with Pilate because of his mismanagement of Palestine. In fact, uh, a number of years after the events of Matthew 26 and 27, Pilate was sacked by Caesar because there was one, you know, one final incident that happened in Palestine and uh, Caesar had had enough and he recalled Pilate and asked him to explain himself and he banished him to another part of the empire where I think uh, Pilate committed suicide. And so here Pilate realises that the last thing he needs is another riot, especially at Passover time. But it's always hard for him to predict how the Jews are going to react he knows that Jesus is not guilty. Uh, in verse 19, his, his wife knew that Jesus was not guilty. She'd had a dream and uh, the dream, she told him not to have anything to do with this innocent man because in her dream she'd been very troubled. Uh, in verse 23, you see that he's still asking the Jews. He's saying, well, what crime has this man committed? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 13 to 15, Pilate confronts the Jewish leaders and he says, look, um, you brought this man to me on the charge that he was, uh, uh, you know, he was inciting rebellion. I have examined this man in your presence. I have found that there is no basis for the charges that you've laid against him. This man has done nothing which deserves death. And yet Pilate knows that he's walking a tightrope. If he convicts the crowd, if he convicts Jesus the crowd could turn on him. They could riot. That would be the last straw for Caesar back in Rome. But if he, left, if he lets Jesus off the hook, then he doesn't know what's going to happen in terms of the Jewish religious leaders, whether they'll complain to Caesar and they'll say, this bloke let, let off the person who claimed to be king. So Pilate is stuck between a rock and a hard place. But then he comes up with what he thinks might be a solution to the problem, and that is, ask the crowd what they want. Uh, the Jewish, the, the, the Roman governors had started a practice whereby every year at the time of the Passover that they would release a prisoner um, out of prison, out of jail. Now, this was not because they loved the prisoners. This was a PR job. It was in order to kind of maintain the peace and make them look a little bit merciful than what they actually were. And so it was an act of diplomacy. And Pilate puts the choice to the people. It was a choice between Barabbas, who was a convicted uh, insurrectionist and a murderer and a thief, or Jesus. 
and perhaps perhaps pilate was thinking that the crowd would not want a man like barabbas released back into the public and if the crowd said release jesus then pilate would be off the hook no one could blame pilate for what happened next but in verse 20 we see that uh, in what was happening here that the religious leaders got in amongst the crowd and they stirred the crowd up so that the crowd ended up saying that they wanted Barabbas released and they wanted Jesus to be crucified. Pilate protested. But in verse 24, as Pilate could see that there was another riot brewing, the last thing that he needed, he washed his hands. He declared his innocence and their guilt. Now, what was Pilate's motive? Did he really like Jesus? I don't think that was really the issue here. Uh, Pilate was protecting his job. Pilate didn't want trouble. It was not out of respect for Jesus or any sense of justice. Now we see that in what happens next. They said that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate was going to milk that for as much as he could. You know, later on he had a sign put on the cross where Jesus was crucified which said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The Jewish religious leaders protested. They said, no, 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 don't say that. Say that he only claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. He is the king of the Jews. In verse 26, Pilate had Jesus flogged with a whip. Now, that whip uh, would, would, would have been made of leather. It would have had uh, multiple thongs to it. And each thong would have had tied to the end of it a, a piece of sharp metal or sharp bone. And the purpose was that as the, as the victim was whipped, that the, the whip would, uh, would tear the flesh off the, off the person's back. Pilate's soldiers then commenced the coronation. They coronated this pretend king. Have a look with me again at verses 28 to 30. Verse 28. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. They thought he was a pretend king. But was he a pretend king? What is it that makes a person a king? Authority, isn't it? Sovereignty. Being in control. That is the nature of kingship. So who is in control here? In Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19... 
Jesus had earlier told his disciples about his future. Let me tell you what he said. He said to his disciples, let me tell you what's going to happen. We are going to go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles will mock him, will flog him, and he'll be crucified. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. So who's in control? He's been betrayed, hasn't he? By his friend Judas, who handed him over with a kiss. He's been condemned by the Sanhedrin. They've handed him over to the Gentiles. He's been mocked. He's been flogged. Crucifixion is about to happen, but he will not stay dead. Jesus had it all mapped out. Who is in control here? Who is really the king? It's not Pilate. It's not Caesar. Hundreds of years earlier, in Psalm 2, which you read at the beginning of the sermon, Psalm 2 had foretold this very event. The psalm prophesied a time when the worldly kings and rulers would conspire together against the Lord, against his anointed one, the king. And Psalm 2 tells us three things about God's king. Firstly, he is all-powerful. He has power and authority over every nation, over every people, over every tribe. He has power and authority given to him because he is God's son. Secondly, as one who has power and authority, he is one to be feared. And he will punish those kings who do not serve him. Thirdly, he is merciful. He grants mercy, he grants shelter, he blesses all who take refuge in him. When Queen Elizabeth was coronated, she was not only presented with the symbols of her authority, she was also given by the moderator of the Presbyterian Church, Church of Scotland, she was given a Bible as part of the ceremony. A Bible to say to her, great you may well be, but you are under authority from one who is greater Jesus is greater. He is the true king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one to whom all the great and mighty of this world must bow their knee in homage. And in the same way, that is true for you and me. You and me, we must all turn our lives over to serving Jesus. 
problem with that is that we all want to be king of our own lives, don't we? We don't want to have someone else ruling over us. We want to be the ones who run our life our way without being interfered by God. Pilate had to make a decision about Jesus. We're told that when the crowd called out, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas, that Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with this Jesus, whom is called Christ? People do all sorts of things with Jesus so that they can stay king of their lives. There are some people who, who hate Jesus. They can't stand him. There are others who mock Jesus. Most people simply ignore Jesus. They think that he is a, a wise man from the past who said some good things, but he has little relevance to their lives. They simply ignore Jesus. And there are many people who are happy for Jesus to be part of their religion, part of their, can I say, churchianity. But Jesus is the one to whom we must bow our knee. And when you think about it, why wouldn't you do that? He died a Roman death. He hung from a tree. He was cursed by God as your sin became his sin. And like the snake lifted up on the pole, we can look to Jesus dying for us. We can look to him to be healed of all of our wrongdoings, of everything that we've done wrong in life that has changed us, that has marred us, that has dishonoured God. For all our rebellion against God, for all of our wanting to be king of our own lives, we can be healed, forgiven, made right with God as we look to him who was raised up on the pole. It's a decision which we all must make. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Is he your king? Now let's pray. Father, we pray each one of us in regards to that question, what will we do with Jesus? Will we simply have Jesus as part of our churchianity, part of our religion? Will we, in practice, ignore Jesus, saying that we believe in him, but in reality wanting to run our lives our way? Or will we submit to him as the servant king who died, was cursed by you so that we would not be cursed by you, was crucified so that we can turn to him and look to him and find healing and salvation and turn our lives over to honouring him, paying him the homage that is due to the one who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
Father, we pray for each one of us that in our hearts that we would consider this question, what will we do with Jesus? Amen.